Brown University removes a study because the transgender community doesn't like it. Actress Alyssa Milano lends her voice to protest Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh. And women are freezing their eggs at younger and younger ages. Twitter once again shows its bias by declining to take down threats against the lives of NRA spokeswoman Dana Lash's children. And Kelsey's getting married. All that and more in this week's edition of Problematic Women. Well, welcome to Problematic Women, a podcast and Facebook watch show that showcases strong conservative women, current events, and the hypocrisy of the feminist left. My name is Kelsey Harkness, and I'm a senior news producer here with The Daily Signal. And I'm Bree Payton, staff writer at The Federalist and friend of The Daily Signal. So this week, we're actually going to be flipping the script a little bit, and we're going to be announcing who the Problematic Woman of the Week is first, and then saving some of the wedding details and lessons that you learned along the way towards the end of the show. So first off, our problematic woman of the week this week is Lisa Littman, who's a professor at Brown University. And she came out with this massive study in which she studied more than 250 parents of children who had suddenly developed gender dysphoria. Now, suddenly developing gender dysphoria is different than parents of kids who say that they've always expressed gender dysphoria. So this is like, oh, they start expressing this in in a couple of weeks all of a sudden from nowhere. So she was kind of trying to study that phenomenon. And she concluded that uh, 21% of the parents reported that their children had one or more friends that became transgender identified around the same time as their child. 20% reported an increase in their child's social media use around the same time. And 45% of parents reported both of these things happening at the same time with their kids. So long story short, half of the transgender kids that she studied uh, that suddenly became trans identified as gender dysphoric um, were looking at a lot more social media or had one or more friends that started to identify this way around the same time. So she's like, is there kind of a social contagion component to this? Um, and what are some of the consequences of like elevating and talking about it all of the time? So this study was taken down a week later because there was a massive amount of backlash. And just to let you know, all throughout the study, she says, you know, more research is needed. We don't know. More research is needed. Um, And is like really transparent about the methodology that she used for this study uh, and acknowledging that further study is needed because this is just like one step in the direction of examining that problem. For all we knew, she was actually upset by the results and wasn't happy to uh, to share the details. And that's why she kept emphasizing that more research needs to be done. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But nevertheless, her study was taken down and the dean of the Brown University Public School of Health, his name is or the dean, I don't know if it's a man or a woman now that I'm reading this. Anyway, dean is named Bess Marcus. Um, so the dean penned a public letter explaining why the school took it down. So this is what the dean writes. The university and the university and school have always affirmed the importance of academic freedom and the value of rigorous debate informed by research. At the same time, we believe firmly that this is also incumbent on public health research listeners 
uh, to, to listen to multiple perspectives and to recognize and articulate the limitations of their work. Which she did. Right, which she did. Anyway, basically, long story short, he's saying, you know, we always love rigorous debate uh, unless it says science says things that we don't like, in which case we will scuttle it. We're going to hide it. We're going to make it go away. Um, yeah. So that's pretty nuts. Very problematic, in my opinion. I guess no surprise this, that this happened at Brown University, but Brown University is an Ivy League. And for an Ivy League to be quashing a piece of research simply because a certain community didn't like the results is very, very dangerous. And I actually think it speaks to the current environment on a lot of college campuses and why so many conservatives are rightly concerned about this, because, you know, we hear the left under the administration talking about facts first. We need facts, facts, facts. Well, look, this researcher just published a set of facts and the school took it down because a certain group didn't like those facts. So I think there's two big pieces to this story. One is Brown University uh, taking the story down. The second is actually the study itself and the results that it bared. Sure, I, 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 I do think that more research needs to be done. This study needs to be replicated and and, and study even more um, broad groups of um of children who are identifying as transgender, but this is a study involving children and children who are identifying as transgender, which is very dangerous because sadly we know that um, individuals who identify as transgender often have uh, very high suicide rates, have um, in you know instances of, of mental illness. And really, you know, it's not something that we want to encourage among children um, because of those very sad side effects that we often see. Absolutely. And I think recognizing that there could be a social contagion component to some of this, I think if that's true, it's important to recognize, right? And the fact that there's just a complete unwillingness to have any debate or discussion or even like open the door of that as a possibility, even if science affirms it, I think speaks, says a lot. Absolutely. Because the, um, you know, the issue of gender identity is being introduced to children in public schools at younger and younger ages. And if they're really, if, if the results in the study are true and there is a social contagion factor, I think um, we should be very cautious in the way that we introduce this subject to young children who could be influenced by that. On that note, we're going to hold for a quick break. When we return, we will move on to the top headlines of the week. All right, we are going to kick it off with actress Alyssa Milano lending her voice to protest Brett Kavanaugh. So this came from a video produced by Now This, where actress Alyssa Milano is looking at the camera, pretending to uh, be, I guess, these these different people who um, don't want to see Brett Kavanaugh become the next Supreme Court justice. I'm Jane Doe. When I was 17, I crossed the border. I was 17 when I was detained. I was 17 and soon I would learn that I was, I was pregnant. After they examined me, I asked for an abortion. I made my decision, I said, but they said that I couldn't. 
They tried to change my mind. They tried to stop me. The Trump administration tried to stop me. Brett Kavanaugh tried to stop me. He tried to delay my decision. But what will happen if he's confirmed to the Supreme Court? What will happen when Brett Kavanaugh becomes the majority? So that is Alyssa Milano pretending to be uh, Jane Doe, who was brought into this country, came into this country illegally, uh, and then later decided that she wanted to undergo an abortion procedure. And so there was this big battle that ultimately, you know, ended ended up at the Supreme Court um, in which they were deciding, you know, whether or not someone who comes into this country illegally has the quote unquote right um, to get an abortion. And there's a controversy about how her own attorneys handled her own case and what they did and how they were deceitful and all of that. Anyway, this is what she had to say about that. And she's going forward and saying that women or individuals like Jane Doe don't want to see Brett Kavanaugh as the next Supreme Court nominee. And this is what she has to say about that. We have the power to stop Brett Kavanaugh. I know we do, but we have to call our senators. It's not yet a done deal, so we have to bang down their doors and share our stories because we are all Jane Doe. We are all Joaquin Oliver. We are all Laura Packard. And so many more of us are vulnerable if Brett Kavanaugh is in the majority on the highest court of the land. Pretty much everyone, except Donald Trump. Bree, I think this video really just shows how desperate Democrats are right now to uh, stop Brett Kavanaugh from becoming the next Supreme Court justice. I mean, Alyssa Milano, I'm sorry, she's hardly relevant. Uh, and you would think that, you know, the 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 phenomenon of celebrities um, producing and and appearing on camera in political videos, it just gets old. Americans are tired of it. And I wonder, early on, I think they had an effect. I think um, right now they they hardly do anything. What do you think? So I think that you're right. But I also, like, have a a whole list of issues, honestly, with this video. And, like, I kind of am upset that she thinks, okay, so Jane Doe was not an American citizen. Right. Her in the the circumstances surrounding her situation are going to be completely different from circumstances surrounding my uh, any situation that I would have in my given time, because I was born in this country. I'm an American citizen. You know, my dad immigrated here when he was a little kid. Um, My grandparents immigrated here. So, you know, I guess it's like I kind of resent the fact that she is saying, oh, this is a situation that happened to someone who is not in this country illegally. Um, and this illegal immigrant maybe wouldn't like Brett Kavanaugh on the Supreme Court, which we don't know if Jane Doe even has an opinion on Brett Kavanaugh. But anyway, <laughs> so just the like the fact that she's comparing this woman's set of circumstances with mine and saying that I should side and agree with something that an illegal immigrant wants it's like no i have different interests than an illegal immigrant like an illegal immigrant who's living in this country they're going to want a different set of circum they're going to want totally different things they're going to want to be able to you know get driver's licenses they're going to want to be able to do all these other things and i don't necessarily want them to be able to do that and i don't know just to give this story as an example i think is just so absurd and deeply offensive 
And this story is just one of the many lines of attacks that Democrats are waging um, right now uh, surrounding Brett Kavanaugh. One of the major ones we're seeing um, are coming from women's groups who are claiming that women's lives will be at stake if Brett Kavanaugh becomes the next Supreme Court justice. And I do want to do a little plug for a video that we just released on the Daily Signal where um, myself and uh, my colleague Lauren Evans uh, spoke to a a handful of former female clerks, women who actually knew and worked with Brett Kavanaugh about about what they think of him, both personally and professionally. Their stories were awesome. One of them was uh, clerking for him as she was planning a wedding. I guess I have a little extra <laughs> sympathy for her. The other one, um, when she, by the time she went to clerk for him, she had actually given birth and Brett Kavanaugh had never um, had a female clerk who had a child to take care of at home. And he decided to proactively address the situation with her and ask her, what can I do for you to make this work without lowering my standards for your work, giving you flexible hours and so forth? Um, it's it's really he sets an example for how um, men can and should go about communicating with women about their personal lives, about taking care of um their obligations at home and balancing those with his work. Um, here's a quick soundbite, and you can watch the whole thing at The Daily Signal. He has hired more women proportionally than any other judge on the D.C. Circuit and than any justice on the Supreme Court. I think no justice on the Supreme Court has ever had a year where all four of their clerks have been women. And what that means is that Judge Kavanaugh is really contributing to diversifying this segment of the legal profession. Um, He's doing that by hiring women as law clerks, but then also by mentoring them and advocating for them throughout their careers. I wouldn't be surprised if female clerks then gravitate toward working for such a judge because they hear from the other clerks who've worked for him that this is a place where genuine gender equality, but equality of all kinds, where it's just a pure meritocracy. So millennials are freezing their eggs at really, really young ages in order to ensure that they're going to be able to have a baby later on. So the New York Times reports that the number one reason women cite for going through this whole procedure of, you know, the rounds of hormones, harvesting and freezing eggs and paying like thousands and thousands of dollars for this is due to the lack of a stable partner. Um, So in other words, millennial men suck so bad. (laughs) That women are just like, we're going to take we're going to take extreme measures to try to be able to preserve our own fertility. And so in the article, it features a woman who is 26, same age as me, and she's in there freezing her eggs. And she also says while she's on like the table getting evaluated, she's like, oh, your fertility declines at 22, which it doesn't. It starts to decline like later on in your 20s. So anyway. Um, but there's this girl in there who's 26 years old and she's going in to get her eggs frozen. And I think that that's really extreme personally. I think that, you know, this young woman maybe could meet someone tomorrow and then get married in a year and then have a kid. Like, you don't know what's going to happen in your life. And I understand, you know, if you're older and you decide like, okay, I need to do this as a precaution or I'm having fertility problems. So I need to seek out and start doing IVF. Totally understand that. But I think like this little bit of a trend in targeting younger and younger women, I think is kind of gimmicky. 
And well, these are businesses, fertility yeah, clinics uh, that harvor, harvest eggs are businesses. They are seeking to profit. And I do wonder if they're sort of engaging in any fear mongering with women in their 20s that if you don't do this now, you might never be able to have children. I have to say, I have some sympathy for these girls, though. I mean, when I was earlier on in my 20s and didn't know what my future love life looked like, I, th- I thought, well, maybe that is a good option. Like, you know, it's a good backup plan. Uh, so I do understand it. But at 26 years old, these fertility treatments cost thousands of dollars. So they used to cost nearly $20,000 for a single cycle. But now, um, you know, that they, they cost anywhere from 4000 to 7000 dollars uh, and the procedure involves two weeks of birth control pills to turn off your natural hormones nine or ten days of hormone injections to stimulate egg production followed um, by once the eggs have matured uh, they retrieve those eggs and they freeze them so although the the cost has dropped significantly it's still very expensive and from According to the New York Times reporting, a lot of the women who are going in to harvest their eggs actually get talked into going in for multiple rounds of treatments. So that's multiple payments of four to $7,000. And just to add some perspective to this, the success rate for one of these eggs to have be like a successful pregnancy is between 2 to 12%. So you're, it's a much higher success rate if you're if you you know don't experience any fertility issues, um, and are just going to do this the old-fashioned way. You have a much higher success rate of doing that. Like I said earlier, if you have you know fertility issues or if this has been a struggle, then obviously looking into different alternatives totally makes sense. Um, but in the case of someone who doesn't have fertility issues, like this young 26-year-old woman has no history or family history of any uh, infertility or any problems with that. You know, I think that this is unnecessary. And also, I think that we also don't know the effects that these hormones have on individuals, right? And if you're going to, if you're going to say, okay, it's worth it, the health risks involved and potential health risks involved are worth it for me to have a child. And that's like a decision that you're going to make. I think that that's a decision that you can be informed on and that you can make but i think like trying to well get you can't be informed because the re- research right. isn't there yet yeah well ultimately if you know if there even is risks at a health risk and you decide like it's worth it for me to do this i'm having fertility problems i don't care you know if this some if this is something that causes a problem later on down the road um but i think like just oh just i'm 26 so i'm just gonna do this just because um i think that that doesn't quite add up here And thinking through the reasons why younger women are harvesting their eggs at um, higher and higher rates, um, you know, a lot of them listed the fact that they don't have a significant other. And so, you know, we question, you know, and thinking through why that is, why do women feel insecure? Um, You know, I guess I my dating experiences came from both New York City and Washington, D.C., where I think. The mindset is career first, and the cost of living is so high, so enormously high, that it's really difficult for men who want to be that provider to be able to be the provider uh, for their future wives until they're in their 30s. And so that puts women who are in their 
um, in their low 20s in a difficult situation where unless they want to date men that are significantly older than them in their 30s, a lot of men in their 20s aren't ready. Um, We got in an interesting conversation about why men aren't ready to get married (laughs) in their 20s with some of our Federalist colleagues. Brie, I'm curious of your opinion, and do you think it's problematic that men are not um, at least in, in, in my experiences, a lot of men in their 20s are too immature to get married yet. I think it's a huge problem. And I think that this, honestly, I think this phenomenon speaks to like how badly men are struggling in our society, right? And this is something that I've written about a bunch of times. Um, you know, just statistically, especially in urban areas, like women out earn men um, by like 50% of women in urban areas out earn men and are like the breadwinners in that situation. Um, which isn't bad that women are earning more money, but I think it speaks to the fact that men are struggling to be able to keep up. And there's a lot more women going to college and graduating from college and doing other things that we kind of associate with like maturing and yeah, and graduating and things like that. So I think that, and also men lead like the suicide rates, men lead like overdose rates and addiction rates and all of these other like really bad things that are seeping into our society. Uh, I just think that this really speaks to kind of the pointlessness that a lot of men feel about their existence. And they don't like, have I a don't sense know, of purpose. Yeah, I think they don't have, right. They don't, men in our society don't have oftentimes have a sense of purpose. And I think that that's manifesting itself in a lot of these statistics. And I think that when women are going to freeze their eggs and they're saying like, I can't find anyone because the dating pool is so slim. I think that that also speaks to this problem and this phenomenon that we are seeing with men in our society. I think it's a very good point. I'm sure there's a lot of, a lot more reasons why women are choosing to do this. I hope that more research comes out. Also, I hope that more research comes out on whether or not um, these eggs can be used for successful pregnancies because this is really a new phenomenon to be able to freeze eggs. And I will note that just this year, there were two um, two hospital clinics, um, one in Cleveland and one in San Francisco, where uh, technology failed and thousands of these eggs got destroyed. And I can only imagine what that does to women who are living their lives thinking that they have this great backup plan. And due to technology, their, their, their eggs are no longer there. It's a big risk. I don't think it's as big of a security blanket as maybe we would like to think it is. Um, but I think this is a topic that we're going to be talking about again soon. Absolutely. All right. Well, moving on to our last headline of the day. So Dana Lash, she is the spokeswoman for the NRA faced some pretty awful threats on Twitter, something she's pretty used to. But this particular one involved her children, so she decided to report it to Twitter. Uh, so so someone tweeted at her, the only way these people learn is if it affects them directly. So if Dana Lash has to, del- has to have her children murdered before she'll understand, I guess that's what needs to happen. So Dana reported this to Twitter, and uh, she tweeted out, Uh, That Twitter decided that there was no problem with this content despite Twitter policy stating that you may not make specific threats of violence or wish for the serious physical harm, death or disease of an individual or group of people. 
So once Dana Lash, who has that blue check mark next to her name, tweeted out Twitter's response to this threat against her children, Twitter walked back, reverse course, and re-reviewed the account and um, decided that it was indeed in violation of Twitter rules. So um, I think this is a huge example of the bias that conservatives face from social media. I don't know why whenever these instances happen, Brie, it is always happening to conservatives, yeah. never liberals. Oh, I know. Yeah, it's ridiculous. And this is the same pattern of behavior that we've seen time and time again where Twitter or Facebook does something ridiculous, overdoes their policy, or in this case, doesn't do enough that clearly goes against their stated policy and what they're supposed to do. And then you know, there's a huge backlash and people freak out and yell about it when it's someone prominent enough where this happens to. And then Twitter or Facebook is like, oh, sorry, it was an accident. Okay, I would buy that if this happened once or twice. But sorry, I'm not buying it when this seems to happen like on a daily basis. And I wonder how many conservatives who don't have the blue check mark next to their name, who don't have a bunch of followers, um, who don't have a bunch of other people in a prominent platform to raise this problem, I wonder how often this is happening to them. It's a good question. And I think what's unfortunate about this is that these social media platforms are really only hurting themselves when they decide not to take action when it comes to these types of instances of conservatives being targeted with threats of violence. Because right now, just next week, we're going um, we're going to have Facebook and Twitter, Jack Dorsey from Twitter and uh, Sheryl Sandberg from Facebook testifying before Congress on bias uh, on social media platforms. Um, and, and members of Congress will really be asking, should these platforms be regulated? Now, I think, you know, as conservatives, a lot um, a lot of people don't want to have government involved in regulating social media platforms. We really believe in free speech. But I think so many so many conservatives out there are seeing these types of instances where there's so much clear bias against them that they almost, you know, want the government to step in, which I think is jumping to the wrong conclusion. Um, but, you know, this this is an issue that's going to play out. And I know I hear from a lot of our Daily Signal readers, they're very angry because, you know, they'll be posting some of our content and it gets flagged as offensive or inappropriate. Um, so I think it's a it's a big issue. And I'm I am glad that Facebook and Twitter are going to be forced to answer for it. But I would caution conservatives not to um, jump, jump too far into this and ask the government to get involved in social media, which really is free speech. Also, it's clear that these congressmen have no idea what they're talking no about. No idea. <laughs> so it's like, I really don't want these people or their staffers to try to regulate this. This just seems like a terrible idea. But I, I don't know. I, On the one hand, I am glad that maybe this will raise a little bit more attention. Um, and I think that we need to shame these platforms shame them. into should be held treating people equally. Absolutely. Yes. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about Kelsey's wedding. Woo. So Kelsey is getting married this weekend. 
And we're going to talk about just everything that's happened <laughs> since you've been planning it. So, Kelsey, initially you wanted kind of a medium-sized wedding. And then trying to keep it to the number that you wanted was like a struggle. And you ended up compromising with your fiancé. Talk, talk to us about that. Yeah, so since I was little, I definitely always dreamed of this day. Um, it's funny, at my bridal shower, my sister actually dug up pictures of me in uh, plain dress up, and my favorite outfit to put on was always a wedding dress, and I dragged our neighbor um, and put him in like some sort of military uniform and forced him to uh, pretend to get married to me because I... I just I, I'd always dreamed of this day, but it was interesting because once I got into high school and college, I sort of suppressed the the dream of getting married because I I just had this fear that I would never meet the right person. Um, you know, I would always have friends talking about where they'd want to get married, what they would want to wear, what they would want their wedding to look like. And I, I, I really pushed it away. I didn't want to think about it because I just, I, I really didn't want to jinx it. I was like, this is, it's too good. It's never going to happen to me. It's happening. Yeah. <laughs> Waited 29 years for it, but it's, um, it's happening. I could not be more excited. Um, I have been with my fiance for 20, uh, not 20. That's how old I am. Um, been him, been with him for uh, four years. We actually met here thanks to the Heritage Foundation. We met at a um, communications reception that we were at. Um, so, yeah, he he has a lot of friends. He's a very social guy. I I, I certainly am too. But I I did want this medium sized wedding, um, and our guest list when we put it together just grew and grew and grew. It was um, over two hundred and twenty five people, and that just really intimidated me. It was going to be expensive and just a lot of people to like say hi to in one day. Um, <laughs> Luckily, you know, we we chose to be selfish and get married over Labor Day weekend. So we um, we actually had a lot of people say no, which he told me at the time when he was adding people to his list that this would happen. He just wanted to invite them so they know they were, um, you know, in our thoughts and we wanted them to, you know, feel included and invited. But the reality is he's from Iowa. We're getting married in Virginia. It would be a long trip for everyone. So we ended up at a nice number around 150. Okay, so tell us about your fitness goals <laughs> leading up to the wedding. Uh, yeah, I've had some friends ask me about this. I actually have a, I think I have some good advice for anybody, whether or not you're getting married. Um, so I'm really into yoga. That is the form of exercise I love. I'm a strong believer that, um, you know, you have to enjoy exercising. It needs to be a form of release. So for some people like me, that's yoga. Some people that's running. Some people it's those like power body pump classes, whatever it is, just find something that you enjoy. And then the next step is when I want to sort of take it to the next level for my wedding is challenging my body in a new way. So um, I'd been going to the same yoga studio for a couple years. Um, my body was very used to it. I, you know, I wasn't trying to do anything crazy for my wedding, just get a little more toned. And um, so it actually happened that um, I moved uh, just a couple months ago and I joined a new yoga studio and the studio had a lot more advanced classes. And so it really did challenge my body in a different way. So I think when it comes to working out, if you're not seeing the results that you want, then just try something different because your body gets used to doing the same moves. If you only run, you're using the same muscles every day. So once I joined this new yoga studio, I was doing different kinds of moves and I saw 
um, I saw changes. And then to top it off, for the last two weeks, I decided to add some bar to my workout regimen. Um, if you don't know, bar is a class where you, it's a ballet inspired and you use um, low weights and you do high reps. So it's its good for toning, which is exactly what I was looking for. And again, this is challenging my body in a different way. Um, so I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm happily seeing the results that I want um, without doing anything too crazy. <laughs> How many days do you work out a week? Well, okay, this is this is interesting. I used to never be a morning person, um, but I think this summer I've just been so excited about this wedding and I've been wanting to look good for it. And so I decided I missed too many yoga classes. I, I try to work out um, five, or five or six days a week, but it would never happen. It would be more like four days a week. But the summer I decided to get serious and – I decided to become a morning person. So I've been going to yoga almost every weekday morning um, at 6.30 a.m. And it's been awesome because I um, no longer have to miss yoga classes if I have um, to stay at work late or, or have something I want to do after work. And I actually... I really hope I keep that up after the wedding um, because it's been a really good change in my life just to get up, get the workout done and over with. And it gives me time to digest the news, what's going on in the morning, listen to my podcast. It's been a really positive change in my life that um, this wedding has sort of brought on. And I just hope I stick to it. So ask me in a couple of weeks if I'm still a morning person. Hopefully there's still something excited to, exciting to wake up for. Hopefully, yeah. <laughs> Well, that wraps up our show for this week. Thank you all for tuning in, as always. And if you know a problematic woman, please let us know. You can follow all of my work over at thefederalist.com. And you can follow me on Twitter at Brie underscore Payton. You can follow my work at The Daily Signal and on Twitter at Kelsey J. Harkness. This podcast is a collaboration of The Daily Signal and The Federalist, and it is produced by Lauren Evans of The Daily Signal. So if you like this podcast, please support us by rating and subscribing on iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts from. We appreciate you sharing problematic women with your friends and for supporting strong conservative women who are standing up for America's culture.